0: Let us give thanks. Father in heaven, we do thank you for an opportunity to open up the scriptures, to hear from you and your inspired, God breathed, spirit breathed word. Father, we are so needy for your word, for it is nourishment for our souls. It shows us the path we are to take and it provides for us everything for life and godliness. So, Father, we do pause and ask that your Spirit be with us, that we may learn and we may grow, all for the glory and cause of Christ Jesus and His kingdom. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. When I do have an opportunity to read for pleasure, which doesn't seem that often these days, um, there is an author, G.A. Henty, I think I've mentioned him before. Uh, he writes historical fiction. Uh, if you've got young kids um, that are looking for good literature to read, uh, he is a good one. I think he wrote over 40 volumes, uh, different areas in history, and then he inserts fictional characters into actual historical setting. Uh, The last one that I had read from Henty was A Knight of the White Cross. It's a tale of the Siege of Rhodes. And it depicts the life of a young boy named Garavace. He was orphaned. His father was a knight killed in action. And he willed his son to the knights at Rhodes. And so there was a captain, a grandmaster that was there named Pierre, and he took Garavace in. The boy at the time was only 13 years of age, very young, still hadn't quite developed. But he was advanced beyond his years because of the training of his father. He was diligent in his studies, both physical and physical and academic and he had a direction that he was wanting to go he wanted to be a knight he knew it would take devotion he knew it would take diligence and so he persisted to do all that he was told to do by Pierre the grand master at 17 he was made a knight of the white cross one of the youngest ever to be made a knight He was sent out on his first mission, boarded a ship where they would go out and rid the Mediterranean Sea of pirates. It was during one of these excursions that they captured another vehicle. Garavace was so highly thought of that the captain decided to kind of Divide and conquer, two ships better than one. They took over these pirates. They put them into captivity. And they appointed Garavace at 17, captain of this other ship. And so they went out looking for other pirate ships. And they came to um, a particular island where they were known to dock their ships and get provisions. And so there was nothing there. And they went around to another cove and they noticed a larger ship than theirs with more men on the beach. They turned around and went back to the cove that they were in. Gervais knew that there was too many for them to enter into a fight. And so he decided that he would make himself known and then put together an elaborate scheme One of the more senior knights that was on there said, No, we need to just flee. We need to go. Garevay said, No, not going to turn down a fight here at all. And so they took the boat out, they made their sum known. Here comes the pirates after them. They go around the cove. There's a steep cliff that's there. All of these young men were so well trained physically that they scaled this cliff before the pirate ship got around and the pirates came and they were trying to attempt to do the same thing, had wandered up the beach to the cliffs. Unbeknownst to them, Garavace had circled back around another way, came up the beach from another side, set the pirate ship to fire, got in his own ship and sailed away, sent another ship back later with a larger scaled army to capture all the pirates. This is the type of mind of someone that has direction, that shows devotion to their trade or their craft, and that has diligence and persistence to carry things out. Harry Reader had a book called 3D Leadership. He didn't use the three words that I'm using today, but I want you to keep that in mind 3D. So you have to have direction as a disciple you have to have devotion, and you have to have diligence. And so we want to look at that in our text this morning. We have been looking through the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 for First Timothy. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about what the church is, it is the household of God. It is the pillar and buttress of truth. Truth is what we're all about. And truth is a person Jesus. And so the scriptures simply put out before us in words from God who Jesus is. Both the Old Testament looking forward to his coming, and then him coming in the New Testament speaking to his personal ministry in the Gospels, and then the apostles and the epistles that are written, then pointing back and how all this comes to fruition. Disciples are made. But disciples need to have direction, devotion, and diligence. Last week, we talked about being godly in the last days and what that actually means. And I talked about a phrase, loving the man, slaying the error. So we need to know the Word of God. Part of the process for Timothy was to set things in order at Ephesus where things had gone away, astray, gone adrift. The direction had been lost. Remember I said last week, all you have to do if you're a carpenter, you put a level on something to see if it's straight and the bubble needs to be between the lines. But if you're off center just a little bit, then your direction's completely off. And so Paul tells Timothy from our our message last week to be godly in the last days, you've got to be on center. You have to love the man and slay the heir. And he talked about two things last week. He we talked about being nourished by the word of God and exercising in the word of God. Garavase was raised by a knight. He learned at an early age how to pick up a sword, how to handle it, how to strengthen himself, how to fence all the things that he needed to be a knight. He practiced with a shield. He practiced endurance and strength through running, strengthening himself physically. But he also studied the art of war. To be a knight, you have to not just be brute force. You have to be thinking person. You have to outwit, if you will, the enemy. Sometimes mere strength is not going to do it. So Paul tells Timothy, I want you to understand that you have to nourish yourself and feed yourself the Word of God. And then you need to exercise with it so it becomes second nature. And so this morning, we're looking at him carrying this on. And what someone who is nourished on the Word of God and one who is exercised, exercising themselves on the Word of God, where they go from there. When I was a boy living in Fresno, California, we were there for, oh, I was there for fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, three years. And I had a best friend. His name was Chuck. And so, you know how people will ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Chuck said, I want to be a baseball player, a major league baseball player. And of course I did too. I mean, most of the people that I, that I knew, we all loved baseball, but Chuck was different. Chuck never wavered. He said, I'm going to be a baseball player. And we were best friends for three years. Now sports seasons come and go. But Chuck only wanted to play baseball. Didn't matter if it was football season. Didn't matter if it was basketball season. Chuck lived for baseball. And then every summer his mother and father were divorced and I hated when mid-June would come. That would mean Chuck would move away. My best friend would leave for the rest of the summer. He'd go and live with his father. But as he was there, he would play baseball there. We played baseball year-round. He's my best friend. I'm going to play whatever he wants to play. But he had that direction. I want to be a major league baseball player. And we had moved away. We moved to Denver, Colorado, and St. Louis, Missouri, and other places along the way. Lost track of Chuck. Chuck loved baseball. He was devoted to it. That's all he would live, sleep, eat baseball. Years later, I turn on the TV. The San Francisco Giants are playing. And I can't even tell you who they were playing. And the starting pitcher is about to get pulled. The manager's going out. And he's making his way out there. He calls for a lefty. Chuck was left handed. (laughs) Running out of the bullpen is Chuck Hensley my best friend from years before he had a direction he was devoted and he was diligent why do i tell you that story because paul's telling timothy the same thing you need to have a direction i'm calling you to leadership the key quality of leadership we talked about a little bit last week is you got to be a follower before you're a leader your direction is toward Jesus Christ as a Christian. You follow Him, then you can lead others. And so, He had the direction, He had the devotion, and He had the diligence. And so we pick that up in our text this morning as we look through this. First, uh, the direction that we're headed. In verse 11, He talks to Timothy after being nourished and exercising in the gospel that you need to command and teach these things. What things? Well, everything that needed to be corrected, everything about the church that needed to be put back into order. This, this required Jesus, uh, Timothy to follow Jesus. I don't know if Paul ever used the Sermon on the Mount to train Timothy I'd like to think that he did. Because there's a key passage in that text of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.33. I think Jake has quoted that recently. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so when it comes to direction, we have one person to follow, that's Jesus. He tells us the way to go. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But command and teach these things. Not to follow silly myths, not to follow genealogies, not to be legalistic, not to be ascetic. Everything that God created is good and it's good for you. So teach these things. And Paul is serious about this this whole thing, this direction, this devotion, and the diligence. He uses 10, 10 commands in this short text. Command and teach are the first two. And so he wants you, him to command and teach these things. Command is interesting there. It can actually mean prescribe as a doctor prescribes medication. So when you go to the doctor, you go, doc, I'm not feeling very good today. And he says, um, okay, what would you like? Pick here. I've got a medicine cabinet. You tell me what you need. It's not what happens. The doctor is the one that has devoted his life to study medicine. He's been diligent to perfect his craft, to look at you, evaluate you, to find out what's wrong with you, and then give you the proper thing that you need, medication. That is the type of teaching that Timothy is supposed to do. It's a lesson that we can learn here. So as our direction is to follow Christ and we come into contact with others and we're going to disciple them, we're going to give them the gospel, we want to know who they are, where they are, what things are happening in their lives so that we can rightly use the Word of God and apply it to their lives, teach them what they need to know. I had the opportunity to go to one spring training. It was cut short because of COVID. But even professional athletes who, like Chuck Hensley, had a direction, were devoted to perfect their craft, and were diligent to practice, all those years, once they get to the major leagues, they don't stop. Every spring in Arizona and in Florida, these athletes that are the top half percent are actually doing fundamental skills all over again. They're taking ground balls. They're running bases. They're in the batting cage. They're doing all the things that baseball players learn when they're just a little kid. And so command and teach these things. This is the first aspect of his direction. He's to direct people to Christ through his teaching. And then he makes this comment and he says, Timothy, let no one despise you because of your youth, but set an example for them in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. When it comes to direction, don't get sidetracked is what Paul is saying. Don't let someone else tell you what you are or what you're not. Timothy is about 30 years of age at this point in time. In the culture, in that period of time, you were considered an elder, not an elder in the church, but someone who is older, uh, worthy of honor, respect, just within the culture. That came at 40 years of age. So Paul knows this, and he says, don't let them say, hey, who's this pipsqueak coming in and telling me what to do inside the church? He says, know who you are. Know who you follow. Remember the things that you have learned. He will, Paul will tell him that in 2 Timothy. Remember what your grandmother taught you, what your mother taught you, and the Word of God that you were raised up on. Remember that. You are mature like Gervais, who was sent to Rhodes as a 13-year-old and continued to learn and develop at 17, the youngest Knight of the White Cross. So too, Timothy is doing this spiritual warfare within Ephesus. Let no one despise you. Instead, set an example. When you set an example that can put all the words, all the pushback, it'll take it away. Charles Spurgeon, when he became a Christian, early on, Began preaching at the age of 19. Now, this was not in London. He actually was in a small town called Water Beach. Water Beach. And he was preaching there at the age of 19. And a couple of elders were giving him a bad time about how young he was, how immature he was, and that he really shouldn't be preaching. And Spurgeon humbly, quietly, but firmly schooled these gentlemen in the Scriptures and simply pointed to what it means to be mature in Christ. Unbeknownst to Charles Spurgeon, there was a couple of men there that had come to hear him preach. And when they heard him preach... That was one thing they said, check. The other thing was to see how he handled himself before others. His speech, his conduct. As Paul lays out here, he gives five things. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. All those characteristics Spurgeon put on display. It was a discipleship moment. They called him they said we'd like you to come to london and that began his ministry in london as a pastor so it is our speech it is our conduct it is our love and our faith and our purity that sets forth an example i've used the idea the example is pattern or uh, an impression And so as I've talked about the illustration of patterns before being in the apparel industry, let me use impression. You know what a signet ring is? You know what that is? And people will melt wax and they'll put it on the back of an envelope and then they'll press their ring in it and it makes an impression. And the impression reflects exactly the ring. And so if we're to set an example, we want to set the example of the one who is impressed upon us. It's Jesus. We're to be conformed to His image, are we not? And so in these characteristics here, in speech and conduct, love, faith and purity, those divide into two parts. It's our outward, speech, outward items and inward items. Outward, it's speech and conduct. How many times do you evaluate someone else by what they say? A person may talk too much, and you really don't have any interest in them. You can't get a word in edgewise. James says, be slow to speak speak and quick to hear. How many times have you regretted saying specific words? Honey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. But once the words are out, you can't take them back. Speech becomes important. Proverbs talks about speech and says, the more we speak, the more trouble, paraphrasing here, we get ourselves into. We should be succinct about what we say. We should look to speak wisdom. Speak less, hear more. That's what Timothy was supposed to do. But speaking was part of his ministry, the proclamation of the Word of God. So I'm sure he didn't hold back any words there. Conduct, behavior, character. What do people see? You know when we had uh, in chapter three, elders and deacons and the characteristics of them? And it says, see what outsiders have to say about them. Your conduct is important. When you come into a room, when you go to the workplace, do people know that you're a Christian simply by your character? Will they apologize if they use words that aren't typically used? You know what I mean? They cuss. Not that we never do. But I'm saying, do you have a character? Do you have a decorum when you enter a place... That they say, oh, he's here. She's here. Do you sanctify the place that you're in by your conduct and your speech? That's outward. That's for everyone to see. The other one's a little bit more difficult, but it makes an outward manifestation of the inward reality. It's love, it's faith, and it's purity. That love for God that drives you and therefore a love for others to see them the way Christ sees them. The faith, the things that you believe you do not swerve from. In Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan is the whole story of one who has direction, devotion and diligence. When he left the city of destruction, he was headed one direction, the celestial city. We as Christians should be the same way. We're following Jesus until we die or He comes again. We have a direction. We know what we believe. We're to live it out. We're to learn it and live it. And then we're to conduct ourselves with purity. And this isn't just sexual purity. It has that aspect to it. But morally and ethically in all that we say or do. Have you ever been called a goody two-shoes? Have, have, have people slandered you just because you're just too good to be true? Now we all know we're sinners. We're not perfect. But our bent should be to follow Christ. We should have that direction. And so these are the five things that Timothy is supposed to set an example for to show the direction that others are to follow. If he is following in the direction of Christ, then people who follow him are headed in the same way. I had a professor, Elliot Green, that used to talk about, here's what your role is as as a pastor. You're supposed to point people to Christ, and it's not you that they follow, but the message that points them in the direction of Jesus Christ. But secondly, Paul talks about devotion. Devotion. And here is a twofold devotion that takes place to himself and to others. To self and others. We will always be disciples even if we're making disciples. We never stop learning and growing and becoming God-like. He tells Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So the reading of God's Word to preaching, exhortation, and teaching. He's to do that to himself first, then to others. Pastor Jake will tell you and I will tell you that as you're working on developing a message for people to hear, my prayer is always, Lord, what do you want your people to know from this text? Show me. Teach me. And so the things that I'm telling you are the same things that I need out of this text. I need to be devoted to the reading of Scripture. It says the public reading of Scripture. You say, I don't have an opportunity to do that very often. Well, read out loud. There's your public reading of Scripture with someone else in the room. And then preaching and teaching. We're to devote ourselves to that. That idea of devotion is to occupy your time with that. Time is short. Kids today will, in our culture, every opportunity they get, they'll be on an electronic device. They will do it if they have the opportunity when they first get up in the morning from breaks in between school classes to lunch to in the evening to after supper they want to be on that they're devoted to that device in the same way we're to be devoted to the reading of scripture preaching teaching to ourselves and to others the church is an all member ministry it's not just pastor jake and myself It's not just the elders. It's not just the deacons. It's all of us. All of us are to be like Timothy here, devoting ourselves to this. And then the next command that he has, don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I taught Sunday school earlier. The class is on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And I'd like all of you all to go. I'd like for us to have a problem to go, we don't have enough chairs in here. Okay, I know you might be serving during that time, but if you're not, go. It is so important that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. He is that forgotten member of the Trinity. But He's not really forgotten. We just haven't learned Him to the degree we have. I was studying this week. And I'm going, I learned something new. I didn't know this. I was looking at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So I commend you to go to the class. I, I really do. There's a series of people that will be teaching through that. They're all working on their one little section. But here's, the, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all of it. But as they go through the spiritual gifts, I want you to think, I want you to pray. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you need to seek it out. You need to ask others. Others will notice before you do. At least that's the way it typically works. But know what your gift or gifts are and use them. We are all member ministry. Paul says in Ephesians, when every joint is working together, there is the fullness in the body of Christ. We need every one of you every single one of you, it doesn't matter if you're 3 or 93, you have a gift or gifts that are to be used for the church, to serve the church for the glory of God. And there is such a joy in being able to exercise your gift. Paul says, don't neglect it, Timothy. I talked about this a little bit in, in the Sunday school class and I'll Bring it up here. Timothy was known as being timid or shy. Maybe scared, maybe afraid. That might be true of you in the exercising of your spiritual gifts. Maybe you're not courageous enough. Maybe you feel shy about sharing your faith. But the Holy Spirit which is the energy, the activity, the power of God, the word used for spirit is ruach in the Old Testament. It is a mighty wind. It's a powerful thing. And as you see how the ruach, the Spirit of God, makes Himself known in the Old Testament, know that He fell upon people in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, He dwells in us. If you're scared, Father, don't let me be scared. Give me your Spirit's power that I may talk to this person about Jesus. You'll be amazed how he hears prayers and he answers prayers and the words come out. Timothy, don't neglect that gift. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, as well as myself, let's not neglect the gifts that we have for the glory of God to be used to expand His kingdom. The last piece, diligence. So in verses 15 and 16, you get this barrage of what diligence looks like. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Keep a close watch on yourself. Persist in this. Eat, sleep, drink the gospel. Throughout the day, I try to, in my own life, I will pass this on to you. Short little prayers. We can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of everything that's going on, get distracted. We can have tunnel vision, become focused on whatever task or objective we have before us. That's not a bad thing. We should excel in our vocation. We should do it as unto the Lord. But when you have those short little opportunities, those little breaks, I'm going to go refill my water bottle. I'm going to go to the restroom. I'm going to go get something to eat. Those little breaks in between. Do you pause in those and simply pray a quick little prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing me to live today. Thank you for the breath of life. Thank you that you're bringing rain today to water your land. Thank you that it's a sunny day. Thank you that it's cold and there's a reason for seasons. Whatever it is, give thanksgiving to God. Make sure that you're focused on the direction that you're headed so that your devotion continues so that you can practice these things with diligence. That idea of practicing is to pay careful attention. Have you ever had an injury? A cut that has stitches? And the doctor says, one of the things that I need you to do is I need you to to change the bandage regularly. I need you to cleanse it, put a new one back on. Pay careful attention to that. And you do it, don't you? You want it to get better. That's what he's telling Timothy. Persist in these things. Persist in the reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to teaching. Immerse yourselves in them. When our kids were real little and they wanted to go to the pool, hey, Dad, we want to go swimming. Yeah, sure, let's let's go swimming. And then they'd go and they'd get in the shallow end and they'd be kicking the water and they'd be playing and splashing each other in that. That's not all in. All in is getting into the deeper water. It's submerging. It is swimming. It's the body completely getting wet. You're in the water. If you've ever watched in movies or television or things like that, a big thing now is with with poker. And you'll see people get to a certain point and they'll be all in and they push all their chips in. That's to immerse yourself. I'm not taking this lighthearted. I'm all in this. I'm going to study. And here's the thing, is if you rely on yourself to do this, You're probably not gonna stay on course. We need one another. Timothy needed Paul to remind him here. We need the word of God and fellow believers to remind us on our diligence. Some people call it accountability partner. Some just say, hey, this is doing fellowship with one another. Hey, did you read your Bible this week? What'd you read? What'd you learn? How are you growing? Are you being discipled? Hey, you want me to disciple you? Or maybe you can disciple me. When there's more than one involved in this. You're going to keep your direction. You're going to keep your devotion. And you're going to be diligent. They help you. That's how we grow as the body of Christ. This being, putting it into practice and mercy is for the progress of your faith. The maturity of your faith of your faith so you can be an example, so you can be that imprint to be placed on some someone else. He closes with this. He says, keep close watch on yourself and persist in this. One of the aspects, one of the problems within the Church of Ephesus, was those that were hypocrites saying one thing, doing another Those who were the liars were teaching one thing they didn't even believe in. He tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Watch your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, all these aspects. Look at yourself in the mirror of Scripture from time to time. Ask others to come alongside you. Show you your blind spots. Help you to grow. We have a responsibility to ourselves to check in on ourselves spiritually And in our persistence, it's just keep on, keeping on. Keep on, keeping on. When you do that, you change yourself and you change others. I started by telling you about Garavace. He knew the direction for his life. He was devoted and he was diligent. The story ends with him actually becoming the Grand Master down the road. All his years of growing, being discipled to be a Knight of the White Cross, all along the way with others that he is side by side with, He's not proud. He's not boastful. He's teaching them the things that he has learned. And then he is rewarded in the end for his humility, for his direction, his devotion and diligence. And he becomes a grandmaster. For us as Christians, it is working toward that time when we are finally conformed to the image of Christ. When he says to us face to face, well done, thy good and faithful servant let us pray father we do thank you for your word oh lord we do need your spirit we do need your grace and your mercy there's 10 commands in this text that are difficult they don't come easy but father will you give us your grace will you motivate us from within and through our brothers and sisters from without, that by Your grace, we might be conformed more and more to the image of You, Lord Jesus, until You come again. Amen.